This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. What? I am not the permanent song leader here, uh, but I decided to, uh, after much encouragement from my brother Ed Bush, to uh, to lead singing this morning. And to do uh, uh, something that's really uh, exciting to me, um, and that's to introduce uh, my father, who's going to be preaching uh, for us this morning during our family worship. So real quick, before I give an introduction uh, for my dad, I want to just kind of tell you, uh, you know, what we're doing today. Today is our family worship, uh, and what we're asking all of our congregants to do is to stay in here with your families and when I say families, that's with the young ones so that we can all fellowship and worship together. Now, that may be a challenge because you have really, really young ones and they may get a little cranky. So we do want to let you know that we do have a cry room in the back of the church building back there. If you look over to your your uh, your left, you'll see that uh, cry room back there. So feel free to utilize that. But if you can, please stay in here with us as we uh, as we worship together today. Also want to introduce this guy. We got a guy here by the name of Tony Harris. Tony, stand up, please. Tony is a buddy of mine. He works with the youth at the Marietta uh, Church of Christ. And he's come out our way today to hang out with some of our youth and uh, get to meet some people. And so if you get a chance, go over and say hi to Tony. Introduce yourself. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Tony. All right. So I'm so, so very excited. I feel like it's, it's such an honor to be able to have my dad and my mother and my little sister, of course, here with us this morning. Uh, by way of introduction, my dad is the preaching minister at the Victor Valley Church of Christ, which is up in Victorville, the high desert. And I think, Dad, you've been there for about five years, about four, four or five years uh, and Glenn Sr. used to be a shepherd uh, over at the Victor Valley Church there. And uh, uh, it's so great uh, to have uh, them together again in this building, seeing them worship together. So my dad is the pulpit minister there. My dad is also a professor at Pepperdine University in the Strauss Institute for uh, Arbitration and Mediation. And he is actually teaching Amanda Wexler this year uh, on a couple of, uh, in, a, in a course there. So he is there. My dad uh, recently retired from the military after 30 plus years. My dad was an uh, infantry airborne ranger uh, for, for a long time. So he served our country for a long time. So um, that's right. That's right. That's my dad, you guys. That's my dad. Uh, and my dad also uh, is a mediator and arbitrator and uh, does work on that end. So my dad is very busy, so I think it's so special that I got to uh, tap his shoulder and ask him to come out and uh, to preach for us this morning. Uh, and he and my mom and my sister are here, and it's just an exciting Sunday for me. So I'm so happy to hear my dad, and you'll see where I get it from. Amen. You'll get to see where I get it from. But before he comes up, we're going to sing one verse of song number 23. It's not up on the, uh, the slides. Uh, you guys know it. It's the Church of Christ anthem, Our God, He is Alive. So you guys know it. So stand with me one more time. And then after this song, we'll have my dad come up and preach for us this morning. Number 23, Our God is Alive. How about now? All right, got it. Well, good morning. And what an honor it is to come to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. I see so many uh, recognizable faces. You guys have grown a little bit since I've uh, come last. I know you got the kids in the audience, and that's great. 
Now, if you consider yourself a kid in the audience, I want you to raise your hand. <laughs> raise your hand. Some of you guys are going to have to come down for that invitation piece. But, um, so, so if you're a kid in the audience, I want you to listen to this now. You see that slide right there? That's slide number one. I've got four slides. Now, my daughter, Jasmine, was just baptized last week, by the way. Uh, a funny story about that. Uh, Jasmine wanted to be baptized, but she didn't want anybody around. She said, no problem, we won't have anybody around. And so Jasmine went into the back and got dressed and and I got to thinking, well, you know what? We have, a, we have a baptistry here where I could just reach in and dunk her, and I wouldn't even have to get into the water. And so I said, Jasmine, you don't mind if I do that? And she looked at me, and she said, you're not going to shortchange me. Get in here. <laughs> but I, I want to say to the young people this morning, the kids, so I've got four slides. And so this is slide number one. So just watch me now, right? You can count. Because when I get to the last slide, we're just about done, okay? And no clapping when I get to the last slide, all right? But I'm reminded that Jasmine told me this morning, you know, Dad, when, when you're in Victorville, you tend to preach for somewhere around 30, 35 minutes. And when you're at Mission Viejo, or when I come to visit Mission Viejo and I watch Jason, you know, he preaches about 20 minutes. And I said, so Jasmine, what are you trying to tell me? She said, I want you to remember the three B's. I said, the three B's? Well, she said, really, two B's and one G. I said, well, what is that? He, she said, be brief, be brilliant, and be gone. <laughs> and, so, and so this morning, as you watch for those slides, uh, I'll try to make sure that I, I do that. But I am so happy uh, to see the bushes and Ed, you be careful. I was in Ed's class. Is he a wild card or what? <laughs> but he's married to a steward. He's, he, got, he's, he, he, he cannot win that fight. I grew up with the stewards. Uh, good luck on that one. But rule number one, Ed, is you never bring your laundry into the pulpit. Now, I, I don't follow that rule, but I think you're going to be in trouble when you get home today. And I'm also so happy to see Brother Glenn Alsup here, um, and I'm looking for him. There he is. Uh, Glenn and Kathy have my heart. When I uh, retired from the military up at that wonderful location called Fort Irwin in Barstow, California, it kind of looks like an armpit. <laughs> but when I retired from from Barstow, California, I was attending church down in uh, Victorville, and I recall that one of the elders, Glenn, said, I, I want you to come to dinner with me, and we went to dinner, and he said, I've got a couple of questions for you, and, and he said, you know, you're getting ready to retire, have you thought about where you're going to stop and plant your roots, and, uh, well, actually, he said roots, because he's from Tennessee, so he said, where are you going to stop and plant your roots? And I said, I'm not sure what a root is, but uh, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm thinking about staying here. And he said, well, we'd like you to think about maybe being a preacher here. And I thought to myself, well, that sounds a little interesting. I hadn't really considered myself to be a preacher, but it was Glenn who said, yes, you are, yes, you can, and yes, you will. 
and gave me as much support as anybody could ever give you. And so for that, I'll always be indebted to, to Glenn as one of the uh, elders of the Victor Valley Church of Christ. But then I've got to talk just a little bit about the Stewarts. Wayne and Willis Stewart were in uh, Fort Stewart where I was uh, assigned, where the kids uh, grew up. And I remember going into Fort Stewart, Georgia. That was Hinesville, Georgia. Hinesville, Georgia. And I walked into Hinesville, Georgia, in Georgia, not California. And I remember walking into Hinesville, Georgia, the Hinesville Church of Christ, and I looked around, and there weren't too many people like me. Handsome. And I remember going there, and actually, as soon as I got there, I had to leave, and we went off to the uh, Iraq War, or to the, yeah, to, the, to the war, and Susan was there for quite some time, came back, and Willis and, uh, Willis and Wayne came to me and said, we want to do something radical here. We want to make you one of our deacons. It will be the first time in the history of this congregation that we will have an African-American deacon, and we're not sure how this is going to go, but we think you can deal with it. And I remember going home and, and asking my mom and dad, and dad said, you go up there, you're an airborne infantry ranger, and mom said, never. And we went in there, and uh, they appointed me as a deacon and stood right behind me, and I thought, what a courageous, bold move that they made. And that was 30-something that was years ago. And uh, today, the Hinesville Church of Christ continues to thrive. And so I have a great, great appreciation and admiration for them. All right. Kids, that didn't count. <laughs> so get your watches and clocks out. Or for you guys, you've got all kinds of computers and stuff. Get those out, and you can time me right now. And if it looks like I'm going too long, you can just walk over there to Jasmine and tap her on the shoulder, and then she'll get up here and pull me off. Let's go to the next slide, and let's get started this morning. So we've been having a study at Victorville in the Book of Acts. And we came to this study because of kind of some of the things that are going on around us. And I thought Ed put it wonderfully this morning. I know that... And I grew up in Northern California, Berkeley, California, of all places. So I understand what it's like to be a fruit and a nut, okay? I get it. I was born and raised right there, so I've seen it all. But we've been talking about how that the church, that is Christian principles, God in our country seems to be being diminished. And how that sometimes I know that I feel like I'm being assaulted. I, I had a job downtown L.A. I took a fellowship there. I do media, mediations and arbitrations. And I took a fellowship in downtown L.A. And what an eye-opener it was for me. Because in downtown L.A. at a state office, everything goes. And I remember meeting for the very first time somebody by the name of Thomas. And I had been emailing Thomas for about at least two or three weeks. And I couldn't wait to meet Thomas because what a wonderful guy this had been, guy had been to me over the, uh, over the Internet. And so finally I meet Thomas. That is, I go into a room where Thomas is supposed to be. 
and I scan the room, and I see nothing but women there, and I'm thinking, I guess Thomas didn't make it. And so I said to the leader of the group, I guess you didn't bring down Thomas. And the leader of the group looked at me, and she had on a suit and tie, and she said, no, I'm Thomas. Now for me, being an airborne infantry ranger, it kind of took me aback. Wasn't sure how I was supposed to react. I said, you're Thomas? I thought you were a guy. She says, I am. I said, I don't get it. <laughs> I mean, I got it. You got the guy clothes on, but you're, you're a woman. She said, no, I'm a guy. I said, well, what makes you a guy? She said, because I said so. And I remember going back and talking to the folks in my organization, and part of the state of California rules are, if, if they say they are, that's what they are. Right? So I had a great idea. If she can be transgender, then I can be transgenerational. That is, you look at me, and me and Ed were talking, he's about one year older than I am, you would probably think that I'm about 55 years old. Well, the fact of the matter is, in my head, I'm 25, and you can't do anything about that. <laughs> but we are being assaulted. I was, I was disturbed by the Supreme Court. I was disturbed that they would say that marriage is between anybody that wants to be married when God clearly says that marriage is between a man and a woman. I was disturbed by that. And I'm talking about within the church, and I'm saying to myself, I understand the politics, and I understand that in the, we have to live in this world, and they're the ones who get to make the decisions. And as a soldier, I salute, and I do as I'm told. But I feel as though, for me, it's an affront to everything that I've grown up to be. And I see more and more and more, and it makes me uneasy. And so we begin to have this discussion about how it feels to feel as though we're being assaulted, being turned into almost nothingness. They laugh at us now if we say that we believe in God. They laugh at us now if we say that we have an opinion on what right and wrong is. And it can be difficult, and it can be frustrating. And so we've been having this discussion, and as I began to look at the book of Acts, we can begin to think that, wow, it's never been a worse time, but the fact of the matter is, the book of Acts tells us we've done this before. Been there, done that before. We talk about an assault on Christianity or assault on Christians. You know, during that particular time, they said somewhere between A.D. 60 and 64, during that time, you know who was the emperor? Somebody will say, Obama. No. <laughs> Nero. Now, you think our politicians are bad here. You remember Nero? You remember the history of Nero? You remember what happened with him? He was away doing something, and Rome was a, set ablaze. And there's different stories on what happened, but at the end of the day, Rome was burning down, and he looked for a scapegoat. And do you know who he blamed? He blamed Christians. He chose, of all the people, Christians to pick on, Christians 
to blame. It tells me that he has a little bit of an understanding about what Christianity is about. He recognized that Christians kind of have to back down. Christians are the ones that are going to turn the other cheek. Christians are the ones who are going to take it. So he goes to the Christians, you know, the weak ones, according to them, and he uses Christians as the scapegoat and says, they're the cause of Rome burning down. And it gets even worse because we talk about things like ISIL and all those things going on where Christians are having their heads cut off. That's not news. Just ask John the Baptist. It's not news. Nero, they tell me, took Christians, dipped them in oil, set them on fire so he could light up his castle. So every time I begin to think about the assault against Christianity and times are so bad, let's put it into context. That there's been an assault on Christianity, assault on Christ from day one. And we're just continuing with that assault. Scripture says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly. This is that wonderful Church of Christ scripture. This is ours. We own this one. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That same Jesus who you crucified. Remember that day. We've been talking about uh, Acts. Remember that day when Peter spoke? And just real quickly, Peter had the authority to speak because of Matthew, Matthew, and Matthew. Jesus said, you know, who do men say that I am? Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, who do men say that I am? And he says, you're Christ. He says, upon that rock, upon that confession, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Fast forward, and Peter's there giving this wonderful, wonderful sermon. And he's talking to the very people who crucified Christ. Oh, there's some discussion about, well, wait a minute. We didn't actually crucify him. The Romans crucified him. We just said to do it. We just gave permission for it. My grandmother used to say this. You can say you didn't do it, but all that is is, you ready? This is the grandmama saying. That's just throwing the rock and hiding the hand. Did you catch that? Right? You're all guilty. You're all guilty. The Romans, the Jews, you're guilty. That same Jesus whom you crucified, the God that you believe in, made him both Lord and Christ. That was a day of reckoning. That was a day of reckoning. They just figured out, they put two and two and one and one together and figured out we just put to death the Son of God. We're all guilty. And you need to understand this, that throughout history, from Genesis to Revelation, there's always been a day of reckoning. Adam and Eve had a day of reckoning. All the way through Scripture, there's been a day of reckoning. Folks, take it easy. You see this assault on Christianity? You see all these things going on in this world? There's going to be a day of reckoning. They tell me every, every knee shall bow. 
So that'll give you a little bit of comfort. As you look around, don't worry. Relax. It's going to be okay because there is going to be that day when they come face to face. They can change the laws all they want to. If they want Jack and Jim to get married and Adam and Sally to get married, that's okay. They can do that. If they want to call right wrong and wrong right, that's okay. God's got all of this in his hands. Now, this is the part where if I have transgender, bisexual folks in my audience, they get up and walk out. Don't do it. Because there's an end to this, and I think you're going to like it. So just bear with me. I'm talking about how Christians feel right now. And bear with us. Fact of the matter is, they crucified Christ and they're trying to crucify him again over and over and over again. And there was a day of reckoning. Next slide. It's not an old issue. It's not a new issue, excuse me. It's the same old problem that's been going on since the beginning of man. You say, well, I've never heard of these things that go on now, the stuff that's on the internet, the stuff that's... It's the same thing. It boils down to the same thing. It's a sin problem. It's old Satan trying to figure out how he can take control. <laughs> and it's so funny. He's been trying to take control of God since day one. And he struck out every single time. And the fact of the matter is, even though you think, you know, we can't help it. We can, we, forgive us. We take it personally. When you change laws, when you do things, we take it personally. And the fact of the matter is, it's not personal. It's not personal. It, it may be against the church, but I think he said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so Christians, we need to take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. It's, how about this? Whether you like it, whether you don't like it, whether you want to do more, whether you want to do less, it's going to be okay anyway. The church is going to go on. The church is going to be fine. But how are you going to be? And so we have to recognize as members of the Lord's body, when we see all of this topsy-turvy stuff going on, when we see all this strangeness going on, it's the same old problem that's been going on since day seven. And so when you put it into context and you recognize that sin is going to end up in a bad place no matter what, and there's going to be a day of reckoning, maybe not be in your lifetime. Maybe in a lifetime to come. But just like they were pricked to the heart, the Supreme Court justices, they're going to be pricked to the heart too. And presidents and senators and congressmen and people sitting on the streets, they're all going to have that same day. Relax, it's going to be okay. God's got this thing completely under control. He's been dealing with sin since day one. So what do we do? Next slide. How many slides is that, kids? How many? Kids. 
Back of the class. <laughs> so this is slide number what? Three? Okay, so we got, okay, all right, she's watching, all right. Slide number, and she's got her arms folded. She's not playing. <laughs> so what do we do? What do we do? Well, so Peter answered that question to the folks. He said, repent and be baptized, everyone, in the name of Jesus Christ, for remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a, that's a big discussion, but let me give it to you in a nutshell. You remember on the day of Pentecost when they were all sitting in that upper room and the Spirit came in? You remember that? Now, you can talk about all the different manifestations that the Spirit gave, but there's one thing that's been consistent throughout. If you think about what Peter did, having received that gift, right away he started speaking with boldness and giving people the understanding. That's what the Spirit did. If you think about what the Spirit did with Stephen, it gave him the boldness and the courage to speak up when others wouldn't. And when you think about Paul, the Spirit changed his complete life around and gave him the courage to be able to say, I used to be this way, I used to slaughter Christians, but now I'm going to stand up and speak for them. So if there's one attribute that the Spirit has given you, if you've been baptized into Christ, if you allow it to work, it gives you the ability to have courage. Somebody might say, well, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a speaker, I'm not this or I'm not that. God is simply calling on you to open your mouth and say something. And if you've got nothing to say, you can simply say this, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you too can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you can't say anything else, say that. A lot of people will look at you crazy, right? But if you can't say anything else, say that. Do you believe in those words? Do you believe that carries a spiritual message? Do you believe that God can change lives, change minds, and change societies? Then he's asking you to simply speak. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. But let's talk more. We're given two commandments. Scripture says you can boil all of the law and all of the prophets in these two commandments. So get ready. If you stayed and you were offended, get ready. Boil it all down into two commandments. Love and love. That's it. If you want to know what to do when you come across a situation that's difficult, Count on God, love him, and love your neighbor. That means, that means when Mr. Thomas, who looked like Miss Thomas, and wonderful person, and we went back and forth and had a great discussion, and we're still friends to this day. That means my reaction, although it can be shocking and it can be surprising, at the end of the day, the message that I'm supposed to leave to Thomas is that I may not agree with the way that you live your life, but I love you anyway. And you see, when the church, in a collective manner, 
says that we're not bothered by that old sin problem. It's not a problem for us. God's got that under control. My only job is to, if you're a human being, I love you anyway. That's what Wayne and Willis Stewart did to me. They said, I don't know, I don't care what's going on here in Hinesville, Georgia. But the message we want to send out is we love you anyway. And so Christians, the most difficult, sometimes the most challenging things that we can do to further the gospel, to further the cause of Christ, is when we come into these situations, you've got to figure out some way how to change your attitude, change your visceral responses, and turn it into love. See, because Satan's counting on you to get upset, to be angry, to curse the government, to curse this and to do that. But when we follow the simple command to love God and to love each other, then it becomes no problem. You know, one of the things that has to happen, I work at uh, the Department of Fair Employment and Housing. And I mediate cases where somebody thinks they've been discriminated against. And so we have these forms because it's the state and you have to have forms. It's the federal government. You have to have forms. So we have these forms. And individuals fill out these forms. And you remember in the old days, you fill out the form. It said name. You put your name, middle name, first name, whatever. And in the old days, they had two boxes, male or female. Not the state of California. It's M, F, L, G, B, T, Q, I. You think I'm kidding. L, G, B, T, Q, I. Somebody says, what's the Q? That's supposed to be questioning. I made the mistake of saying queer. Somebody got on me. It's questioning. <laughs> it's a common mistake. And the I... Kids, close your ears. It's not that bad, but please, intersex. I don't know what that means. I, I, I don't know what it means. But can you imagine filling out the form, and you've got to go down the list and go, wait a minute now. I think I fall. The only thing they didn't put down there is ch transgenerational. <laughs> but in this day and time, you have all of those individuals, but the one common denominator that they all have is that they're creatures of God. And whether we like it or not, God said that I have a responsibility to them, and that's to love them. And I thank God that that's the case, because I recall, I grew up, uh, Jason's grandfather uh, was a missionary in Ethiopia. Uh, back in the 50s, I recall growing up, and I remember... Coming back to the States, vaguely remember coming back to the States, and I remember we were traveling and we were going somewhere through Texas, and we had to stay at a gas station. And I could not figure out for the life of me, Dad, why do we have to stay at a gas station? How come we can't go inside? Or how come we can't find a church like we normally do? He said, well, that's just not the way it is now. But some of you will remember Brother Marshall Keeble. And there were some gentlemen back in Omaha who looked across and said, I'm a member of the Lord's body, and I feel like we're separated by race, and I can't 
sit by and watch that. And he got to Brother Keeble. He gave him the money to be able to go out and preach. And they tell me how many people, thousands and thousands of people of all races he baptized. Because somebody, some Christian, remembered the two commandments. To love God and to love your fellow man. And so at that time, it was supposed to be divided. But he said, it can't be divided because God made them a human being just like they made me. He made me one. And I have to love them. And out of that love, look at us today. And there were people back then who said it would never be. Just like today, we say, I can't see myself worshiping with this kind of person or, or any of those ten categories of people. But the fact of the matter is, Christians, if you want to change the world, if you want to see things better, and you know what? The young people have got this. They look at us. Yeah, they look at you anyway. Yeah, yeah. I have none, right? That's very good. I, you guys have taught him well. That's a... But the young people look at us, Ed, and they say, what's the big deal? We all live in this world together, and, and they're not all about controversy. They're all about action. And they come to church with us and they see that we teach that we're supposed to love one another. And then when we go outside, we're talking about this person, that person and this person. And they want to know what's up. We're the ones telling them, you know, evil communications corrupt good morals. Stay away from them. And they're confused. How can you love somebody that you just told me to stay away from? Young people got this thing, and they're looking at us and wondering what's taking us so long. And the only thing taking us so long is sometimes we've run out of love. And that's the greatest commandment. It's the greatest gift. Last slide and last story. Look, kids are going like this. Yay! So I do mediations. And a lot of times I do divorce mediations. And I was doing a divorce mediation for a couple, ready, who wanted to be divorced after 45 years. On the one hand, what's the point? <laughs> but we get into the room. And the woman says, he has shown me absolutely no love ever since the kids have left. It's an empty household, void of any, any love, any affection. And I want to have nothing to do with it. And I bring him into the room and I ask her to leave. We call that a caucusing session. And so I bring her into the room, bring him into the room. And I say, so what do you say? He says, for the life of me, typical guy, I have no idea why I'm even here. <laughs> Ed, you're going to be in real trouble this morning. <laughs> I have no idea why I'm here. Mr. Darden, Mr. Mediator, Mr. Arbitrator, let me tell you about our 45 years. From day one, I courted her. 
I married her. I provided for her. She never had to work. She never had to worry about anything. I was always there for her. And the kids leave, and all of a sudden, she looks at me and says, you've done nothing for me. And Mediator Darden, I have no idea what she's talking about. I've not gone anywhere. Tell me about your day, I say. Tell me about your routine. Well, since retirement, he says, be careful, Ed. Since retirement, we kind of have this routine where I get up in the morning, she cooks the breakfast, I turn on the TV, she goes downstairs, maybe she starts gardening, she does other things. And then about dinner time, we come together, we eat, and then we go to bed. It is an absolutely wonderful life, Mr. Darden. And I just, for the life of me, don't understand what she's complaining about. And so now I bring them into the room together, and I have a good sense of what's been going on. And I say to both of them, I've heard your stories, and each one of you are very, very credible. But I think we may have a miscommunication. And remember, I'm not here as a psychologist. I'm not here as a family therapist. I'm here as the guy that's supposed to write the paperwork up so you can be divorced and go on your separate ways. And so we began to talk. And I say to her, let me tell you what I heard him say. He said he's been there for you. He's provided for you. He's done all the things that his father taught him to do. And for the life of him, he can't understand why you'd be upset. And I turned to him and I said, let me tell you what she said. You're a clod. No, I did not say that. <laughs> she never denied that you took care of her, that you always provided for her. But she said she feels like you would rather watch the NFL football rather than just have a simple discussion with her. Of course, he's going, and? So I said, let me try something else. She's saying that in this marriage, she's not feeling as though she's loved. She's saying that you haven't, in many ways, for her, expressed to her your love and devotion and appreciation for all that she's done in these last 45 years. She says, there's nothing there. And he's saying... I, I can't believe that. And let me tell you, as he closed, as I closed, he began to cry. I mean, cry, cry, where I had to go get a couple of boxes of tissue. And I did not say it was unmanly to cry or anything like that. But I said, what, can you share why you're crying? He said, Mr. Darden, I couldn't be further from the truth. I live, I eat, I breathe, I exist only because she's been in my life. And not until today, not until today, did I recognize that I've never communicated that to her. And so the only thing that she came away with was, he must not love me. And Christians, just a little bit of a poke here. You ready? 
sometimes our absence of communication sends a message that we in the church, we don't love you. And it's not because you don't. But if you haven't communicated it, it might as well be like you don't. And so this morning, this week, you know, in downtown L.A., there's homeless people everywhere. I mean, it is a whole subculture. And they're, you know, they urinate, they do it right there on the street. And sometimes it's just so hard to walk past them. But I've committed myself to every time I do that to at least give them the thought that I do care about them. So that means sometimes holding my nose, swallowing my pride, and at least giving a smile if I don't give money. Giving them the communication, giving them the idea that this Christian man loves you. Because that's the commandment of God. And so if you want to know what to do this week, Communicate love this week. When I go to school and I've got some folks who are enemies of mine, communicate love to them. When I go to work, communicate love. If I'm Ed Bush and I've made my wife mad, buddy, you better communicate love. <laughs> the biggest, the greatest gift, right? The one thing that will endure everything, hope, faith, but the greatest and the thing that's going to last forever is if you can pass on the gift of love. If you're not a Christian this morning, this is what we do in Victorville. We say become a Christian by doing what the Church of Christ says to do. <laughs> Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But I can tell you this. You can start right now just by turning to your neighbor and showing them love. If you have any need this morning, we ask you to come forward now. All together we stand and sing. We invite you to come.